You're listening to a DM podcast. G'day guys, welcome to episode 210 of the Talking With TK podcast. Now today my special guest is Michael Zarafa. Michael is a world rated Australian boxer, currently rated number 7 by the WBA in the middleweight division, also number 11 by Box Rec. He has a record of 28 and 4. He's got 17 wins by knockout, and he's fought some of the best boxers in the world, including former world champions Jeff Horn, Anthony Mundine, Kel Brook, and also Peter Quillen. Michael is a former super welterweight Commonwealth champion, and he's the current WBA Oceana middleweight champion. Michael, welcome to the podcast, my man. Thanks for having me, brother. I appreciate it, man. All right, before we rip into your story, because I'm really interested in ripping that, but just with everything happening around COVID, man, like... For me, I work on the stock market, so it's easy for me to work at home in the office. It doesn't really change. But for yourself as a boxer, now prepping for fights, you have to do sparring, meet up with your trainer. Can you just give the audience an idea of kind of how that's changed over the COVID break? Man, it's been absolutely crazy. Um, down in Melbourne, it's, it's literally the normality here. Um, yeah, I think it's our sixth or seventh lockdown. Um, you know, Obviously, we've got permits and stuff that we can do, you know, go to and from training and stuff, but we're prepping for nothing really. There's no fights. Yep. Um, you know, we can't have um, crowds. There's no venues. Um, so it's mentally tough. And like I said, it's, it's putting a lot of pressure on the sport. Um, I've been in training camp for the last 14 months now because, yeah. you know, there's no fights, there's no nothing. So mentally it is pretty hard, but I'm just surrounding myself around good people. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people affected by it, so it's not just myself, but um, it is tough. And like I said, it's getting worse. Um you know, obviously, I've, I've been jabbed now, so vaccinated. So hopefully, you know, if everyone complies and sticks to the rules, you know, everyone's laid out of their house and yep. more than five kilometres out of their, you know, their radius. So it's pretty crazy. But like I said, in Melbourne, it's, it's literally normal here. Okay. Now, Michael, you know, in terms of like sparring, sparring is so important to your preparation and things like that. In a general kind of without COVID, how many times a week would you spar compared to are you even sparring at the moment? Uh, look, you know, I'm lucky. I've got a few, you know, team members that are pretty, pretty good, and I can, you know, gel off them. But in in a training camp leading to a big fight, I'll, I'll spar three times a week. Yeah. Um, I'll get 20, 25, 35 rounds a week of sparring, and I'll do that for ten weeks. Um, by the end of the training camp, you know, I mean, I would have clocked over three hundred rounds of sparring. So, uh, it's pretty vital. Like I said, sparring is where you implement what you're going to do on, on fight day. Um. But again, no fights are locked in, so you know we're not really stressing to find sparring partners. Um, you know, I'm booked in December. I was booked in in October, um, but again, because of the virus, has been pushed out the next month, and, and just keeps getting pushed out. So, you know, from going two, three fights a year on, on Fox Sports main event, you know, it's I can't even lock in a fight now because we can't get international opponents. You know, I'm highly world ranked as you mentioned earlier, and to get a guy that's in front of me. Um, you know, either outprices himself or doesn't want to quarantine and, and go through all the, the rubbish that's going on in the world. So it is pretty hard. And obviously, I've cleaned out my backyard. Um, there was the Tim Zoo fight. Uh, politics obviously stuffed that up, which, yeah. you know, people can believe what they want to believe. But um, again, I'm just staying patient and, and just waiting for big things, man. You know, I've done all the hard yards now and it's basically just, you know, soiling in a, 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 a world title fight or, or something bigger. Yeah, before we get onto your story again, while you've got this fresh with the Tim Zoo stuff, we might as well get this out of the way now because I'm sure that you're probably sick of talking about it. But I was so surprised just yesterday when I put up, is there any questions for Michael? I was surprised, especially a lot of my audience is in Sydney because we're a generally a rugby league podcast, but we spread all over Australia. I was surprised how little people knew of your side of things. And there's always two sides to a story. So, 100%. yeah, so why don't I give you just a bit of a platform now so then you can get this out of the way and then we can rip into your story. 100%. Well, obviously, I'm a, I'm a fighter. It's my livelihood. Um, so win, lose, or draw, um, whoever's put in front of me, and like I said, the money was huge. Um, why would I knock that back? Mm. You know, the contract we got eight weeks prior to the fight to the contract we were handed a week out of the fight were two completely different contracts. You know, going out eight weeks, I knew it was 70-30 going in Tim's favour. I knew that I was the B-side of... That's boxing. Yep. Um, you know, then a week out, I went, I complied, did all the, the media leading into the fight. Uh, like I said, it was a $300,000 fight. Why would I turn that back? You know, I chased this fight, invested three years into the fight, money, time, um, a, a 12-week training camp to then pull out of a week. It just doesn't make any sense. Mm. And the reason why is, um, you know, a week out, they contacted us, you know, saying, oh, we're finding it hard now to get the exemptions and permits. And my team told them prior, um, look, you know, this is our sixth, lockdown you know we've got businesses we've got families uh, there's 15 of my team that said look we can't uh, we can't afford to be in another lockdown so if you just give us the exemptions uh, before we sign this contract 
um, everything will be sweet. They said, look, no stress at all. You know, it's, it's, it's work, it's business. We're going to make sure everything gets done, exemptions, permits, et cetera. Yep. We said, no worries. A week out, then we, we get a call saying, oh, look, you know, um, it's getting pretty hard to get these exemptions, these permits. Uh, we can't fly your team out either, Zarafa. Uh, we're going to fly you up the morning of the fight. We'll fight. We'll fly you back the same day, but we can't pay for your team. You will have to pay for that. Um, the judges, the referee is the same referee you had for Jeff Horn. Uh, they're not neutral. There was just so much rubbish going on leading to that fight, and we never, ever pulled out of a fight, ever. We never have and never will. Yep. Um, like I said, it's my livelihood. It was $300,000 on the table, win, lose, or draw. Even if you knocked me out in the first 15 minutes, I was going to be three hundred grand richer. That's not about the money, but in saying that, you know, this is my job. Um, so we never put our fight. We just said, look, you know, if you can't come to the deal that we originally signed for, do you want to postpone the flight? They said, give us two hours, we'll call you back. Within two hours, I had about a thousand missed calls, <laughs> about two thousand messages saying, Zarafi, you're this, you're that. I was yeah. all over the media. Mate, I didn't even know. I was the last person to find out that I was already replaced. So People, again, it's, I'm not here to change people's opinions. Um, people, once they've already made a, an opinion about you, you can't change that. It is sad because people are believing the only one side of the story. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I fought guys, bigger names for less money in worse conditions in their backyard. So, again, win, lose, or draw, why would I not, you know, why would I pull out of a fight a week out? Yeah. You know, if I had no intention of taking the fight, I didn't have a gun to my head to say sign and, and, and take the fight. I did 12-week training camp. I went back and forth numerous times to Sydney for media. You know what I mean? To what? Pull out of a week. I went to Sydney, crashed his fight. I've been chasing this fight, invested time and money three years. I don't know, man. People can believe what they want to believe, but there was so much things that went on behind the scenes that just weren't good with us. Two days before the fight, like, I was really disappointed because I've followed your career since the start and Tim the same. I've loved his dad and then onto Tim, he's a magnificent fighter as yourself. So I was disappointed. But as the weeks have gone on and I see kind of you talking about it, Tim talking about it, Tim having a fight, I'm kind of more pumped now than I was for the, originally. I actually yeah. think the fight's bigger now that you and actually that's, – That's the original plan. And it's boxing, as much as I love the sport, boxing is – it's a business. It's like Microsoft. It's like Sony. It's like – it's a company. Yep. So – the word boxing is a business, and, and as much as it didn't go ahead, it just matches now for a bigger fight. And, you know, Tim apparently had Castano, the world champion, never, didn't happen. Then he had Harrison. It didn't happen. Mm. And it was the same excuses, oh, they were scared. So people are starting to realise, you know, people that know the sport are starting to realise that, well, hang on, it wasn't Zarafa because he said the same thing now for Castano who's fought. Everybody in the world yep. is the current world champion, so he's not scared. Then Harrison, who's beaten former world champion Charlo. You know, so these guys aren't scared to fight Tim Zhu. Yeah, I mean, so now people are starting to click on and they're like, well, hang on a second. Zarafa might, might be telling the truth now. There's two sides. But obviously, people that follow Zhu's career are going to stick by Zhu, and people that follow boxing are going to understand the truth, and people that follow my career are going to follow me. So it's a shame that people did, oh, did believe that, yep. but you know, that's, just, that's just the sport. It's actually funny to see, not funny, but the emergence of boxing as an entertainment and a business as you just described because now it's kind of like the narrative's being created and then all this hype that's kind of hyping up, it, it's kind of like a real version of WWE. Like, Yeah, well, it's the new mundane green and, you know, I've taken on that role now and, you know, I've had conversations with people and they're like, oh, you're actually really nice. So I'm like, look, you know, it's my character, you know, I'm, I'm that outgoing that loud you know aggressive guy you know you can't have two guys in a room wishing each other the best you know saying god bless to each other and hugging it out you know you need that one guy that's going to get up there and have enough balls to talk a little bit of smack and and i've backed it you know like the the fight with jeff Horn. i said you know the biggest mistake he made was signing that you know that contract and i'm going to knock him out i went out there in the first fight and did that and you know credit to jeff in the second fight um you know he got the he got the win with one all so there's unfinished business there but um, you know, I've been all around the world and I've fought some big names and it's in my head, it's a career that doesn't last forever. So you've got to go out there, make your name, make your money. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a legacy thing too. You know, you want to be remembered for whatever it is, you know, yep. whether you've been involved in the biggest fight, whether you've had the most exciting fight, win, lose or draw, you know. And to, to me, that's a big thing, you know, to like yourself, like you just said, you know, it's made a bigger fight. I want to be involved in that where people want to see the biggest fights and I want to be in, involved in those. 
Definitely. Mate, we'll come back to the art of promotion because I think it's a great topic for us to explore a little bit later in the podcast. But let's rip in in terms of your background, Zarafa. Like, Zarafa, is that Maltese? You're correct, yeah, Maltese, yeah. Nice, because I grew up where I grew up in Sydney. (laughs) We were talking about haircuts before. We're both very embarrassed. Crazy. But for me, growing up, I grew up in a, a town called Blacktown in Sydney, and it's a very populated Maltese and also Filipino. So a lot of my friends growing up, surnames like Vela, Vasalo, Samet, like that was the crew that I dealt with and such lovely people. But tell me a little bit about your family and how you grew up. Craigie Byrne, right? Craigie Byrne, yeah, my local boy, just, you know, pretty tough. Um, you know, I didn't have anything exciting. My parents weren't, you know, a rich family. I never come from a rich family. We just did what we had to do to get by. And, um, you know, we just stuck by each other and uh, we're pretty close. And like I said, we just do what we do to get by. Um, I, I knew at a young age that I wanted to be a professional fighter, so school to me wasn't where I wanted to be. So I was always a bit of a troublemaker. I was always leaving school early and, and doing what I had to do. But um, you know, I told my parents at 14 years old that I'm going to chase a dream and, and be a world champion. And you know, being Maltese and crazy, they didn't really they didn't really like that. But again, it was what I wanted to do, and you know, I busted my ass off to get where I am. And you know, I didn't have a, a famous dad or a famous mom. You know, I built my name with literally my bare hands and. Um, I've had a lot of failures, a lot of setbacks, and um, it's made me who I am today. It's made me a lot stronger. But uh, growing up was definitely tough. Like I said, I didn't have anything fancy. I just, yeah, I just did what I had to do to get by, survive, survival yeah. mode. Now, boxing, like to pick that up for me, my love of boxing started with Rocky. Where did your love of <laughs> love of boxing start? Man, it's crazy because as as a young kid, you know, all my family was into those you know, mixed martial arts, you know, those Wing Chuns and all these Bruce Lee movies and stuff like that, and. Uh, for me, I just I didn't I didn't like it. It just it bored me. Um, so nothing <laughs> against it. It just it wasn't for me. You know, you, I didn't yeah. want to break someone's elbow in fifteen places. You know, so I, I, at seven years old, I said, you know, I chucked in my first pair of gloves and said, you know, these can't come off. You know, I mean, I, I have to be a world champion. And the vision I had at seven, and it's crazy because I I'm a lot, I do a lot of podcasts and stuff, and I say this to everybody and, and on the radio and stuff. The vision I had at seven years old and the vision I have at twenty nine hasn't changed. Like. It's so weird to explain, but no matter how bad the setback is or how much I fail or how much criticism I get from people, it's inevitable for me. Like, I'm going to be a world champion. Mm. It's just when. And I I use a lot of powerful, you know, tools like visualization and manifestation and all these other things just to to get me by. But it's just the weirdest feeling at 7 and 29 to hold a dream no matter what happens or has happened. It's, it's, yeah, it's crazy. Mate, Only if you can do it, I think. Yeah, I'm really interested in visualization and all that sort of stuff. And what was amazing in research for this podcast is hearing that as a 13-year-old, you reached out to Anthony Mundine and predicted yeah. that you will end his career. Like, Correct, talk to me yeah. about that. That's like the law of attraction, like what you were just speaking about. I'm not sure if yeah, you've heard I've of that it, before. I've done it a few times, man, in my career. You know, I've got three, three main goals. And one was to obviously beat Mundine to have Michael Buffer call one of my fights and to win a world title. And I've had two, two out of the three. Yeah. So at 13 years old, I, I was MySpace back then and um, I found him, I stalked him on, on MySpace. <laughs> and I, I sent him a message. I said, you know, one day I'm going to fight and retire you. And, and he replied and he said, um, if you're looking to be beat, I'm the man to meet. And I left him on scene. And 15 years later, um, it ended up happening. You know, I ended up living, in, living that dream and, and fighting my idol and, and retiring him so and he remembers it you know we were sitting in the back rooms after four and we, we shared a moment which was unreal um you know i remember watching him in the in the contender and when i was a young kid and yeah it was phenomenal man like it was something i'll remember forever and and that's what i try to do in the sport i try to make memories because you know you can't do this forever and when it's time to go that's all you take with you you know what i mean is memories you can't lose this jumper i'm wearing you know, the car I drive, that's all borrowed, you know what I mean? When, when when your time's done, all you have is memories. That's all you take with you. And that's what I try to create, memories. Yeah, so Mick, you're, you're very good with reflection then on what you've achieved. Yeah, look, you know, I, I chase I, – I just tell myself, people's opinions and if someone says no, a lot of people give up. For me, that, that means nothing to me. I just smile because someone's opinion or, you know, what someone thinks of you doesn't change the outcome. You know what I mean? I had a lot of – a lot of hate going around the last few months because of the whole Tim's, Tim Zoo thing, you know, and it doesn't define what, what's next for me. Yep. You know what I mean? Whether you love or you hate me, I guarantee you're going to watch me. 
and and that's that's just life. You know, what I mean, if if they've got nothing nice to say about you, it means they're not doing well with themselves, and that's how they make them, themselves feel better. And it, and it sounds a little bit, you know, cringy and and motivational, and it's not. It's just if they knew better, they'd be doing better. And and that's what I just remind myself. You know, I when I read a negative comment, I I don't get angry. I feel sorry for those people, and not because you know they've got a a, a shittier life or whatever it may be. It's just because somewhere in their life they've missed out on an opportunity mm. and that's that's their way of showing it and that's why i say if they knew better they'd be doing better so i'll just tell myself man someone else's opinion whether it's good or bad doesn't doesn't you know dictate my career or my life or where i'm going i like that now mick i told you i was going to play different sounds to you during this podcast and get you to react to it now seeing that you brought up michael buffer now michael buffer when Someone gets a ring announcer like Michael Buffer, it's a big deal because it's a main event that will signify that it might be a world title fight, a world title eliminator, or something very, very special about to happen. So I'm going to play this, and then you can react to it, bud. Sing first, fighting out of the red corner, wearing blue and white, officially weighing in at 10 stone, 13 pounds, 8 ounces. As a professional... 25 victories, including 14 wins by knockout against two defeats. And in the super welterweight division, he's undefeated as a professional with a record of 23-0, 14 KOs, nine knockouts coming in four rounds or less. From Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, he's the WBA Oceana super welterweight champion, Michael Pretty Boy. Huge, mate. Talk man, to me about I just, it. I started. To, I want to. I want to spar. I want to fight somebody. <laughs> <laughs> man, I, the, the best word to to define that moment is is electrifying. It, it, I was in a, a stadium with twenty thousand people, and you know I'm fighting a guy, Cal Brooks, whose status is huge. Mm. Um, former IBF world champion, fought the likes of Gennady Golovkin. You know, beat Sean Porter for the IBF title, world title. Yeah, fought Errol Spence. He's fought everybody. Um, so to go 12 rounds with him and have Michael Buffer call my fight um, was electrifying. I, I, I remember sitting in the ring and and just even hearing that, the hairs on my neck stood up. Nice. And, you know, just the adrenaline. And for me, it was just another reminder of I was born for this. Yeah. You know, like. And that's been my slogan, you know, BFG. I was born for this, born for greatness, BFG, you know, and, and that's been my thing. And I just remind myself, like, you know, you hear Zarafa, you hear Mayweather, you hear Kel Brook, you hear Triple G. It's like I'm meant to be there. You know, whether that you have – being successful is not about winning. It's about fulfilling your dream and, and, and being happy and content with where you are in life. And, and that's, that's, that's me every day. You know, and, and I just remind myself, man, you were born for this. Michael, that, watching that fight again, I watched it again last night, and it reminded me so much of when Anthony Mundine, he lost to Mikel Kessler. But in that fight, he grew so much, and he was a totally different fighter. And I feel that's why he, was, he became a world champion again and beat Danny Green. But I saw something very, very similar. Like, even though you copped the loss – and then Kel copped the W, you're, you're literally projected in different areas. Kel has now, obviously, I think he might be retired or finishing. Well, now they're trying to get him a fight with Amir Khan. There's a lot of, you know, he's definitely towards the end of his career. I mean, I fought him four years ago yeah. or whatever it was, three. I was 26. But in that last round, you went after him. There was a point where you called <laughs> him on. But it yeah. just seemed because you were so tentative in those first three or four rounds, and then you kept growing as this fight kept going. Yeah, look, uh, as a young kid, I I do lack a little bit of belief in myself, um, and that's just something I've always I've always had, and I, I'm I'm not sure I'd admit that, you know. But I I'm at a point now where I've matured, and you know, if I fought Cal Brooks now, I believe I'd stop him. And in that fight, you know, I, I was staring across him in the ring, and I was like, you know, Marcus Rafa, like that's Cal Brook, mm. you know, like you know, I was a little bit starstruck, and you know, the, I started very slow. And then when I got back to the fourth, fifth round, I said to myself, you know what? He's got two arms and a head bleeds red, man. You know, the, it, it comes down to who wants this more. You know what I mean? And, and that's what it was all about. And then on 
fifth or sixth round onwards, I said, you know what, I got this bloke. And there was a few times where I heard him and, and nearly nearly stopped him in that last round. And, you know, they come out and said to me, he said to me after the fight, he said, you know, you've got a huge future. He said, at 26 years old, I wasn't fighting Cal Brooks. He said, and you worried us a few times, you know, and I, I just wish I started a little bit, you know, harder and, and more more belief early and, you know, it would have been a different fight. You know, one or two more rounds, you know, I reckon I could have had him. Yeah, he, hurt. he told me afterwards, he said, you know, you, you hurt me a few times, you know, got me with a good body shot. I remember push, pushing the referee out of the way and, and egging him on, <laughs> saying, let's go, come on, let's, let's throw punches, you know. And, and that's why I get upset when people say, you know, I was scared to fight Tim Zhu, you know. I've, I've, I've boxed my whole life. I don't know any different, man, honestly. I, I, I never... I never really worked. I, I just chased the dream, man. I, I struggled growing up, you know. I, I never had things handed to me. What I wanted, I had to fight for. And, you know, to, to hear that, I was scared from a fight. It, it's disappointing, yeah. you know, knowing that I've been in the likes that, with Cal Brooks and, you know, the, the Arif Magomedov, the Russian world champion, you know, Peter Quillen at 22 years old fighting the biggest puncher in the division, you know, 32-0 and 0 with 31 knockouts. Yep. So that does frustrate me a little bit. But, I mean, you know, watching that fight, I remember – having a sore nose after the first round. I, <laughs> did, first yeah. round and I went back in the ring and my trainer goes, what are you doing? I said, mate, there's levels to this sport. But um, that day I grew and I said, you know what? I belong here. It's not my time now. And that's why I got the loss and that, that that's in God's hands. But I knew moving forward that this is where I'll be. Yeah. Now, Mick, just going back to your journey and your boxing journey, I've just got a question from the audience. Troy Warner, he wants to know, when you were growing up, who were your boxing idols? Uh, boxing idols, man. I was obviously everyone's a big fan of Muhammad Ali, man. That's that's just he, he's the goat, you know. He's the the greatest of all time. And um, but bro, I, I loved Roy Jones Jr. was my favorite fighter, mm. man. He he just he had it all, you know. He had the skills, he had the flamboyance. Uh, he just had everything. And um, you know, I'd always watch his, his stuff. And where people go wrong, you know, is they try to imitate fighters. Mm. And if this, you know, young dudes watching fights and stuff like that, you watch them for motivation. You never watch them to, to take skill away. You know, you, you've got to be yourself. Yeah. And, you know, people always said, I remember getting interviewed by Sugar Ray Leonard and he goes, you know, who's your favorite fighter? And I said, Michael Zarafa. And then he took his hat off and, and put it on my head. He goes, mate, that's the best answer. He said, you know, you've got to be yourself. Yeah. But, um, you know, growing up, I, I loved watching Roy Jones Jr. Um, and as, as an Aussie, you've got, to, you've got to back Anthony Mundine, the man. You know, he put the sport on the map. Those two, the faints, like the chicken faints and all that sort of stuff, oh, incredible. Man, he, he Free look, someone. Look, yeah, man. He made it look, you know, easy. He made boxing look beautiful. And um, you can't play boxing, man. Boxing is one of the worst and hardest and toughest sports. But he made it look pretty, you know. And, and Roy Jones, and I've, I've got a, the pleasure of meeting Roy Jones. He was actually ringside when I fought for the Commonwealth title. Okay. Um, and said to me, he goes, man, you've got a big future. So, um, you know, the, the sports made me, you know, meet some great great athletes. Nice. Now, when you were coming up, your amateur career before you turned pro, I think you turned pro at 18, so very, very young. Mm. How did you convince your mum and your dad to let you fight? Oh, man. I I think my first or second, I actually, they actually didn't know about it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I kind of was like, because I was in between playing football and, and boxing, amateur boxing, and so I'd play football mornings on Saturdays, and then I'd have my amateur fights on a Sunday back-to-back, so... I didn't really know. I'd say I'd stay at a mate's house or whatever and I'd get up and, and fight at the Calabria Club in Brunswick um, until, I don't know, they it somehow got out and they, they confronted me and they weren't happy. I guess my parents were pretty strict being young, but they saw the love I had uh, for the sport and, the, and they saw, I think, my ability and hunger. Um, but I, I, I'd never shied away from anything. You know, if I got pushed down, I'd get back up. And I've always had that um, personality where, you know, I'll learn off a five-year-old if – I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm older than you and I know more than you. And yep. I'll take advice from a five-year-old and I'll think, you know what, you're right. You know what I mean? And if they can see something that maybe I can't, I'll, I'll take that. I'm like a sponge, man. I'll, I've got a, a 13-year-old cousin that I learn from every day. You know what I mean? I'm just like, it's pretty switched on, you know what I mean? And whether you're older, you're younger, it's all about learning. And every day, I'm always learning and bettering myself. Mate, I've got to ask, while we're saying, how do you ask your parents' permission to go box? You've got a stack of tattoos, man. Tell me your favorite, favorite, favorite one, and what age was your first one? Oh man, don't even get me going with my parents and my tattoos. I actually, I secretly got my first tattoo. Um, I'm covered. <laughs> my first tattoo. I was literally naked. All I had was my last name tattooed down, which was a shocking tattoo and a shocking decision. It was um, 
it just had my last name going down my arm and that was it. And uh, I ended up coming home and I hit it for about a month. <laughs> and then um, I convinced my older sister. I said, oh, you know, like, let's do this and let's do that. And she took me to the the dodgiest tattoo joint I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we started adding to it. And then I said, I shouldn't have shown my parents. My mum nearly had a heart attack. And I reckon I, I reckon I got the belt somewhere along the line. I was about 14. I was only 14 years old, mind you. So oh, wow. Jesus. My parents freaked out. Um, and then I convinced them. I said, look, you know, if – they said to me, if you win this next fight, and that was for the Commonwealth Games trials, I think it was, they said, if you win this fight, you know, you can add to your tattoo. And I kept winning. And every time I was winning, I was adding to my tattoo. So that was like my reward. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, they, they just ended up, you know, like I said, it's become a habit now. I'm nearly 30 years old. So, I mean, they don't really care now. <laughs> <laughs> now it was a shock the first time they saw me. <laughs> Before I take you to the debut, Michael, if you didn't decide to be a boxer, what would you have what do you think you would have been? Uh, I've had a lot of loves, you know, in, in different areas. I wanted to be a barber. I wanted to do construction. I wanted to open up a gym. Yeah, I wanted to be a politician. There was so many things I wanted to do. <laughs> I wanted to be a chef. I mean, I, I just knew I wanted to be a boxer. And um, for me, everyone says, oh, what are you going to do after boxing? And, and I'm not even thinking about that, you know what I mean? Because I'm so caught up in what I'm doing now. And I'm not even thinking about what I'm doing after but um, my two would have been either a barber, open up my own, you know, salon and, and making it like, you know, with a pool table in there, with a yep. PlayStation, big flat screen TV, like just making it a really, really hectic place or I would have been in construction, I reckon. Nice. I like, mate, I like the idea in the barbershop because for me... Yeah, I'd have just relaxing and I'm just picturing just giving some fades. You know, I, want, I want my barbershop to be like, you know, where all the boys go and I think get away from their wives yeah. and just chill. And, I think we're very similar because I go out every Thursday night after work. And I yeah, like because yeah, yeah. the boys talk footy and yeah, we just yeah. catch up on life. I ask them about their family. They ask me what's going on in my life. And it, it's just a chill voice, like, like you said. That's what I mean, yeah. For me, it's like when girls go to get their nails done and, they're, you know, they're talking about their goss, whatever. For me, when I go to the barbershop, it's the boys. It's, it's like a family there, you know. We, they're having, like, their shots of scotch or whatever. They've got the TVs going. It's just a, where the boys hang out. And, you know, if I ended up going down that path, I would have really invested and um, yeah, made it, like, a pretty cool just – Home for the boys. Nice, I like it. Now, second second sound I've got for you, mate. Features tall. Tonight wearing black shorts with yellow trim and fighting out of Craigieburn. This man was a state Golden Gloves champion in 2010. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Michael Pretty Now, Michael, that's the launching of you being the pretty boy. So, why don't we start there? How did you get the nickname Pretty Boy? It's definitely not for my looks, man. I get asked this question a lot. Um, <clears throat> I actually got up in the amateurs um, for my style. It was very. It was from Howard Lee, one of the commentators or the ring announcers, and he just said, "Michael, oh, he he's very pretty to watch. You know, he's got a pretty style, very neat, very tidy. Um, you know, the pretty boy." And it, it just it just stuck because throughout my amateur career, obviously, I had him. So every time. I thought yep. he'd introduce me as the pretty boy and, you know, <laughs> interview me as the pretty boy. And, I mean, it just stuck. And I tried a thousand times to get rid of it. But, I mean, I just couldn't, you know, I, mean, I wanted something dangerous, you know, like the body snatcher or the bomber or something, you know what I mean? But they, they gave me the pretty boy and I've just rolled with it now. And I've tried to, obviously, it doesn't work, but I've tried to keep <laughs> that image. <laughs> yeah, Michael, for me, but. we're talking, this is 10 years ago. You're 18 years old, a baby face. And... I've got to ask, like, I'm sure before your first fight, you would have been nervous as hell. Has that nerve ever gone away? Um, people ask me that as well. You know, it's it's different nerves. Uh, you know, people get nervous. Some people get scared. Some people are like, you know, get like stage fright. Where for me, it's exciting nerves. It's not, I'm scared. I know the hard work's done. So for me, every fight's the first fight. Even even now, you know, it's it's the first fight again because you've never fought that person. You know, I've had 33 fights as a professional, but, you know, I'm fighting that person for the first time. So I just tell myself, you know what, all the hard work's done. Um, go out there and have fun. Mm. You know what I mean? Whatever the outcome is, win, lose, or draw, just enjoy. You know what I mean? Have fun. And that's what I do. I just take all the pressure off me and you know, I'm, I'm super chill. You know, even before the horn fight, the first fight, people were like, aren't you nervous? You know, when I was in England fighting Cal Brooks, they're like, you know, aren't you nervous? I was dancing and. Just having a laugh with everyone. Everyone's like, man, you're on in like 10 minutes. Like, you're fighting Cal Brook. And I'm just like, yeah, man, like, I'm here. You know what I mean? Like, 
I've got two options. I'll either be nervous and scared and go out there or be happy and calm and go out there, you know, so I'll take that option. But for me, it, like I said, it doesn't last forever. Win, lose or draw. Um, whatever the outcome is, it's in God's hands. I know I've done the hard work, Yeah. you know, and, and I just tell myself, doesn't matter. The guy July 5th is the same guy July 7th, you know, so just enjoy. Mick, I love watching a boxer's first fight because it just shows the evolution, especially on their style. You probably have seen yeah. that style what you were in that first fight, you were moving heaps. You probably would have been, had that fight gone two or three rounds, gassed after that because you were moving so disgusting. much. Oh, I hate watching that fight. I looked disgusting. How did it, <laughs> How did the kind of style, what point do you reckon it evolved? Because obviously now you, you're so composed and you're such a different fighter. At what stage do you think that style evolved? Um, look, you know, obviously the art of the boxing is, is hit not be hit. So, you know, being young and not experienced, that was my game plan just to hit and run, you know. And now as, as I'm older, more mature, I know that I'm not going to – it doesn't hurt, you know. So I try to engage and, and it's, it's like a game of chess or checkers because it's a lot faster, yep. you know. So you try to break down your opponent. You know, you see what they're good at and what they're not good at. And, you know, you just each round. For, for me, it was like I want to get in, get out. Now, I've got 12 rounds. You know what I mean? I've got 36 minutes to try to break you down. And that, and that's my – I'll, I'll give you the first five rounds, you know what I mean, because I know you've got to survive the next seven. And, and that comes down to game plan and, and, and maturity and experience. And each fight, I gain something. You know, I watch back my fight. I actually never watch back my fights. That's a lie. I was, I was about to lie to you. <laughs> but I, you know – Doing interviews and stuff like that, I, I, I see how I was and where I am now. And I just, just learning, man, just, you know, getting hit by dropping your hand, inspiring or, you know, running fast and then running slow and, you know, seeing the difference, just testing out the waters, you know, testing out the body and listening to the body and, and just growing, you know, and the best way to get smart is to educate yourself. And that's what I just do, man. I just see where I go wrong and, and just, Try to get better. Yeah. Mick, can you take me through the kind of the psychology of knocking someone out? Because you've trained so hard for this fight and you've done something that I'm sure that you can describe in a sec probably is amazing because you've pulled something off. But at the same time, you see someone go, go down and they might be hurt. Like, how do mm. you, how does that mix of emotions fall with you? Look, you know, as much as there's a lot of, you know, shit talk and stuff leading into a fight, you know, you never want to see anyone get hurt, man. And as long as both fighters get in, healthy and come out healthy that's all you can wish for but i mean it is an accomplishment stopping a fight early because you know you know you've put in the hard work and you know obviously leading into that fight there's back and forth smack so you know you want to prove your point but you know i was also involved in you know a tragic death in aspiring you know i mean with you know my former sparring partner and, and opponent dwight richie so you know from that day onwards i i look at things different and i see you know as much as i want to win the fight you know i mean I, it's it's scary because I've been in such a traumatizing, you know, event. Yeah. So I, I, I wish upon I, I wish good upon anybody that gets in the with me. And like I said, if we go in healthy, come in healthy, that's all I can wish for. But sadly, it, it's you can't play the sport. You know what I mean? You can't play ball. You can play soccer. You can play boxing. But you know you can't. I mean, football. You can't play boxing. Yeah. You know. So you just pray and you, you leave it in God's hands. And like I said, you just wish for the best. Definitely. Now, Mark, I'm going to take you to another moment. It's going to be... I'll, I'll play it too. On this Jeff Horn. Zarafa picks him off and Horn's ready to go. He's ready to go. He's in the corner. Fight over. He's got to stop it. Ferland Marks had to stop the and fight. He needs to get to the canvas and he does. Got to stop it. He's done. Fight over. Throw the towel in. They should throw the towel in. He's gone. He's Jeff Horn. Stop the fight. Throw the towel in. Over to the corner or to the referee to stop this fight because Jeff Horn... No. world of hurt with now, Michael, that's the finish of your first fight with Jeff Horn. Now, previously this fight, because the boxing community is a very small community, as you know, because of Jeff Horn beating Anthony Mundine and Manny Pacquiao, this actually made you mainstream in Australia. Talk to me about the events before the fight, where you were at, like in terms of your life and boxing career, and what impact that has had on your again life and career. Oh, look, man, boxing's tough, and I was actually saying this today. You, you literally, 
there's no growth in boxing. You go from overnight success to a superstar. You know what I mean? That's that's the sport. You go from zero to ten overnight. And uh, I, before that fight, I was just a journeyman. I was a prospect. Mm. And um, you know, I knew I knew when they gave me that when they called me and they said, you know, Jeff Horns picked you for an opponent. You know what I mean? What do you think? And you know, a few people were like, oh, you know, he's beat Pacquiao and he's four big names. He's tough. You know, he's a former Olympian. You know, his rough has got no no chance. Um, I said to them, I'll fight him for free. I knew I was going to beat him. You know, and I called it. I said, you know, even when I knocked him out after that fight, you know, they gave me the microphone. They said, you know, I said, why is he all surprised? I said, I called this 12 weeks ago. I told you I was going to knock out Jeff Horn and I did. And, you know, that it, it put a it put me on the map. It made me world class. I, I moved to number four in the world, you know, and I was a serious contender for for big names, you know, huge names. It was talked about me fighting guys like Pacquiao and, and mm. Triple G and all these big, big names. And, um, you know, so I'm grateful they gave me that opportunity. But, um, you know, again, like I said in the earlier, you know, I was born for this. I, I, it's inevitable for me. I knew it was always going to happen. If it didn't happen then, it was going to happen now or, or in the future, you know. So I'm, I've just got to – it's all about being patient in, in the sport. And I do struggle with being patient because I wanted to be a world champion 10 years ago. But as I'm getting older, I'm starting to realise that, you know, good things really do come for those who wait and work hard. And, you know, that 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 was always going to happen. And, you know, me being a world champion is going to happen. You know what I mean? So 10 years ago, in God's plan, I was going to fight Jeff Horn. And five years from now or two years from now, I'm going to fight and win a world title. And that's what I remind myself and I visualise that every day. And yep. if I'm at the gym and by myself shadow boxing, I mean, I'm at the MGM in Vegas, you know I mean, with a, with a, a sold-out crowd watching me shadow box. You know, if I'm driving my little... Toyota 86, I'm in a Ferrari, you know, and I just, I visualise everything, you know what I mean? I'm in the shower, I'm shadow boxing, I'm walking down coals, I'm shadow boxing, you know, and, and people are watching me and, you know, like, it's 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 just the key to success, I think, and, and you know, I, I just, it's so powerful, it's super powerful, and that's what I did prior to that fight, I said, you know what, I'm going to knock him out, I know I'm going to knock him out, and if you, if you're, if you speak it loud enough and you believe it, it eventually happens. No, I love that, man. I love that. Now, in terms of, you know, we just spoke about you going from a, a relative unknown to being pretty much famous across Australia. Did you have to make any adjustments in terms of lifestyle or anything like that, handling people? Uh, yeah, it was it was a little different. I mean, you know, after that fight, everywhere I walked, everyone knew who I was. Mm. I mean, and again, I knew it was eventually going to happen, but I didn't think it was going to happen as it did. What I had in my head and what it actually was was two different things, you know, I'm walking down the street. There's a Rafa trackie. Everyone's like, "Oh man, we'll get a photo. This and that. Sign this. Sign that." And you know, people ask me for signed gloves and, and signed merchandise and this and that. And well, this is cool. You know, this is pretty. This is like another another level. You know, but um, I never change as a person. I never, I never get, let that get to me, man. You know, the same people I had back then, I still have now. And I'm not a fancy person. I don't like fancy things. I'm pretty chill. You know, and um, and like I said, but it de- it definitely was weird. At the start. Yeah. But now it's okay. It's pretty cool. Now, I know that the Horn number two fight, it cost you a big fight, I think, by memory in Japan. How much did yeah. the, the distraction, because I remember watching your press conference and a lot of the promotion leading into the Horn fight was built on the back of a narrative of him costing you a fight. Mm. How much do you feel was that a distraction to the outcome in the second fight? Uh, look, man, I had a lot of things. Again, credit to um, Jeff Horn and his team. You know, I, I'm not that fighter that says, "Oh, you know, this and that," like excuses. But um, for me, it, for me, I, on a personal level, um, I remember just before we walked out, my brother looked back. You know, he leads the way and he goes, "You ready? You know, you ready?" And I said, "It's not our night tonight." You know, this was before I even went out there, yeah. and I said, "It's not our night tonight." You know, I said, "But we're here." You know, obviously, at the death of Dwight Richie yeah. three weeks prior, you know, I had to, I, I had to, you know, bury one of my good friends and spar partners over fourteen years a week before the fight. I had a lot of things, you know, that played a huge role. And, and it wasn't a different Jeff Horn. It was a different Zarafa, same Jeff Horn, different Zarafa. And for me, I just, I didn't want to be there. Um, you know, I, I walked out and, you know, just the, the hostility, the crowd, um, the atmosphere, just the leading to the fight, just everything was wrong. And again, you don't get everything planned. Um, but I just struggled to adjust a little bit. But for me, I, again, that's why I said I, I fight no matter what. I fought for the for the fight fans because they deserve that fight. They wanted to see that fight. Um, I could have knocked back that fight. I said, you know what, stuff your rematch. I'm getting the Murata fight. 
he would have costed me 40, 50 grand, but I would have made $1.3 million. Yeah. So I would have made my money back. But that's not me. And that's why it frustrates me when people say, oh, he's scared in fight. I mean, I could have, I could have made my millions, you know what I mean? And, and, and fought for a world title and lived out my dream. But I didn't do that. I chose to give him the rematch and stick by the contract and do what I had to do. But, you know, again, when I got in there, I was like, you know, it's just not me. I just didn't feel it. You know I mean, I started slow. Um, again, and, and even at 60% that I fought, I still won the fight. You know I mean? I got robbed. I got stitched. But credit to Jeff. He was tough enough to stand, stand, stand there for that ninth round and, and pull through a shot from God, as they call it. Everyone calls it a shot from God. No, of course, <laughs> that got back up. You know what I mean? But credit to him and his team. He fought um, a much better fight than I did. And, you know, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Michael, you had a significant, from just the naked eye, just a, an advantage in size over Jeff. And he's not small. What do you walk away? What do you walk at? Uh, everyone thinks I'm big. I'm tiny. You know, you know, the question that everyone says to me when they meet me is, oh, you look so much – if I had a dollar for every time someone said, you look so much bigger on TV than in real life, I wouldn't need to box anymore to make a living. Because <laughs> everyone thinks I'm this, this gigantor, six-foot-six, you know, muscly. I'm tiny. I'm skinny. I've got legs like, like my fingers and, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big dude. You know, I'm a pretty small frame. I, I debuted at 66 kilos. Yep. Um, so I'm not, I'm not a big dude, but people think, you know, I'm, I'm a monster. And, and Jeff Horn, shoulder to shoulder, he was a lot bigger than me. You know, he had, he had very heavy hands, um, you know, body strength. He was a lot stronger than I was. Um, I just, you know, my boxing brain and IQs, when it's on, it's on. You know, I've been all around the world and, and Freddie Roach and, and the biggest names in the world have said, man, when this kid's on, he's, un, he's unbeatable. And a lot of fighters say, you know, if he gives a rough confidence or he gets his distance, it's all over. You know what I mean? And, um, that's what I try to do, and, and I just couldn't do that in the second fight with Jeff Horn because my mind just wasn't there. Yep. You know, I was just talking to myself. I remember in the third or fourth round, I said, Mick, come on, you, you know, what are you doing? You know, I was just, I was literally talking to myself to try to motivate myself and pick myself up. But you know, I went ten rounds later, and yeah, you know, fell short. Yeah, Mick, do you think there's a different fighter physically, seventy-two kilos to then the division under at sixty-nine? Big difference. People think, oh, 72 Zarafa is a lot stronger. I'm more dangerous at 69. You know, I'm a lot fitter, a lot sharper, a lot quicker, a um, lot more explosive. And, you know, 69 is my division. But I cleaned out that division before Tim Zhu, you know, came out of the woodworks and did what he had to do and and use his dad to get where he is. You know what I mean? I I was I was cleaning out that division. So I was like, you know what, I'll go up. And, and I was winning in that division too. And then beat Jeff Horn and then had the loss, and then you know, I mean, I was just campaigned at seventy-two because I got high world rankings as a middleweight. Yep. You know what I mean? And obviously, I've I've got a proper team now who, you know, implement proper strength training and and and, and size and eating and nutrition, and so I'm, I'm a comfortable and strong middleweight. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about your team. How do you go about picking who gets to be in the corner of Michael's Rafa? Uh, it's a very hard decision because you know a lot of people play a huge role. Um, you know, obviously, I do all the fighting when it comes to fight night, but Leading into a, in a 12-week camp, there's a lot of people that, you know, do so much for me. And mm. to only have four people in a corner, it is very hard, you know. So um, I just try to go with comfortability, who I feel safest with. And obviously, Sam LeBrun, my head trainer, because we're obviously in the gym every day with each other. And you know, he becomes like a father figure because he's with me 24-7. You know, I see him more than I see my family. So obviously, he's in the corner. And, and I trust his judgment, who he needs. And we usually, he picks one and I pick one, you know what I mean? So who I want, normally I have my brother or, you know, like my uncle or someone next to me and and then he picks who, who he needs. But for me, it's who I feel most comfortable with yep. because, you know, having my brother, he knows, you know, how I am, how I feel if I'm hurt, you know what I mean? Obviously, Sammy, my head trainer, knows me back the front. So we just gel off each other, but it is very hard to make a decision because everyone's like, oh, what about me? Can I be in your corner? Can I think yeah. it's, you know, I'll just be a bucket and, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll chuck you a lolly halfway, you know, six round, I'll give you an Allen snake, you know. So <laughs> it is hard, but I mean, look, you know, it, it's business and I just go there and, and as soon as I walk in the stadium, it's a different mindset. You know, I'm laughing and having a joke, but as soon as I walk through those doors, as much as I'm still laughing and having a joke, it's a different mindset. I'll flip the switch. And that's the difference between good and great. You know, I mean, good good fighters are just, oh, yeah, yeah we'll go through the motions where a great fighter will flip that switch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, five minutes before, you know, you walk out, they knock on the on the – change and say, you know, Zarafa, you're on in five minutes. You know I mean? And that's when it all, all, all zones in. And that's you know, when you're walking out, you know, telling yourself all the hard work's done, man. It's showtime. Yeah. Can you and describe then, that, that ring walk, Michael? Man, I just, 
it's it's such a short walk, but you think of everything in 29 years. You know, I mean, it's it's a two-minute walk or a three-minute walk out, but, you know, as soon as the doors open, the lights, you know, you see the ring, it's a dark room and a stadium full of people with cameras and, yeah, you're just walking through the crowd and I just tell myself, man, this is, again, I was born for this, man. You know, I wouldn't want anything. It's, it's the worst and scariest place to be, but it's the best place to be in the world and I wouldn't change it for anything. And, you know, when you get in the ring, just before I get in there, I do my walkout, you know, I do the sign of the cross, and I turn around and I look at the I look I I, I scan out the stadium, mm. you know, from start to finish. And I, I really embrace that moment before I get in and I just take that deep breath before I walk in. As soon as both feet hit inside that ring, it's showtime. Nice. And you know, it, it's kill or be killed. And the different fight enters, you know, Michael Zarafa walks out to the ring, but an animal gets in. And, you know, it's it's such a weird feeling. And not many can do that. You know, not many can flick that switch. And that's the difference between, you know, your Manny Pacquiao, your Floyd Mayweather's to your, your local guys. Yeah. Now, we've got one more topic before we hit some fan questions. Now, do you need some water before we continue, mate, or anything? No, no, I'm all good. You're all good? Okay, cool. All good, I like sipping on it. Just No, no, you sound perfect. I just know that with sports people, like, they need their water, so I just want to make sure no, you're hydrated, good, my man. I need a haircut. I can't keep looking at myself all this, mate. <laughs> Now, we touched briefly at the start of the podcast, mate, about kind of the art of promotion and the business side. Now, I want to play a few clips to you because I love the way that you've actually kind of evolved in this over time. So I'll just play you a few things and then I'll get a few reactions of kind of how you come up with this and, you know, the tension between the two boxes and things like that. Reach, you got nothing. Height, you got nothing. Speed, you got nothing. Youth, I've got you covered. Looks, mate, it's pretty self, you know, you can see. <laughs> I've got everything covered, mate. You're Response? definitely overconfident. No, he, he said his confidence here. You're we can safe. tell his confidence up here. Uh, I guess, um, like I said. You do make it easy for someone to say, uh, would you like to punch this person in the face? So, Fair enough by Jeff Horn, but, mate, I like it yeah. creative, but you've got to have the balls and to be the heel. Like, Yeah, look, yeah, and that, that's the thing, you know, if, if I went out there and said, you know, oh, Jeff, you know, you're a good fighter, you're strong, you know, in the first fight, you know, you caught me with a few good hits, all the best, man, nothing but love and respect. People are going to be like, man, are you fighting or are you just going out on a date? You know what I mean? So for me, I think being loud and, and bringing eyes to the, to the fight, um, again, People hated me, people loved me, but they watched it. You know what I mean? And that's what it's about. It's about this sport lacks confidence and lacks, you know, people speaking th- their minds. And, and you're in a country that doesn't really get behind boxing. So why would we be quiet? You want to put more attraction to the sport, you know what I mean? And and do what Mundine Green did. You know, they, they, they said to themselves, why are we going to go overseas and compete with the world's best? When we got pay-per-view, main event, we're earning millions, we're, we're putting eyes on the sport. Let's do it here. You know what I mean? That's why they had that rivalry. And I've got that with... Well, pretty much everybody, <laughs> you know, and and that's what it's about, you know what I mean? And and I'm not known for doing something bad or illegal. You know what I mean? People say, oh, you know, he's a wanker and this and that. But at the end of the day, you know, people that actually know me know that I give back and yep. you know, I help people. I never shy away from, you know, bringing someone to my level. You know, each one teach one for me, you know what I mean? And whether you're five years old or you're 50 years old or, you know, nearly 100, I make time for everybody. Yep. And... That's what I mean. I just go out there and, and just bring attention. Nice. I mean, I knew if I went out there and I knew Jeff Horn is quiet, you know, and he's yeah. not a bad bloke, um, but he's, he's boring. Yeah. He's vanilla. He's very plain. And that's just his personality where, for me, I can beat that guy, you know, but it didn't really work for me. You know, my 19, 20 fights, I was very God bless, all the best, much, much love, nothing but respect. Thank you for the opportunity. And I thought, you know what? Why am I? Why am I giving these guys credit for something that I'm doing? You know what I mean. So, me saying I'm going to knock out you two front teeth, that's that's a part of the sport. You know, what I mean, we're only going in there to punch each other's heads in. After the fight, we'll buy each other a beer. There's nothing but love. Yep. But before the fight, let's let's turn everyone's you know let's turn everyone everyone's heads and chuck it on channel you know Fox Sports or whatever it may be. Let's put interest in the sport. Yeah, definitely. So for me, like I said, whether you love or hate me, you're either going to watch me to win or you're going to watch the other guy to bash me. So, All right, Michael, you know, the next one's one of my favourites because it's two heels coming together and I like it when two bad boys come together. So I'll play you this one. 
Okay. You got 12 weeks, bro. You're passing the torch. Yeah, we'll see. Time. We'll see. You ain't never gonna get the torch, bro. You're not gonna never have the torch. You'll you ain't see. good enough to have the torch. We'll see. That's why. That's camera why. Now. That's why. It's all on camera now. Brian, sit it. It's all on camera. That's why I told Brian. No sit excuse. That fight up. No excuse. Sit that fight up. I told Brian. Sit that fight up. Did I tell you, Brian? Sit that fight up. I want to get him. I'll beat him. And when I beat him, I shot the world. Yeah. Wanna... Michael, the great thing about this is you don't have to carry the promotion by yourself, which. Obviously, sometimes at times can be draining on you because you have to literally do everything. What was it like? Because Anthony's the best in the business. He got it. Like people came and paid for him to get knocked out, and he literally never did until the end of his career. Yeah, yeah. You're probably in the same path where people are actually paying now to watch you lose, but that's a very strong position. How did it feel when, when two bad boys came together? For me, I mean, I've got nothing, but it's hard to hate Monday. I mean, I. As a kid, man, my, my bedroom walls had Mundine posters and, you know, I mean, he for me, I had a little crush on Mundine, you know what I mean? He, he was the man, you know what I mean? So for me to be in a press conference knowing that, you know, 10 weeks from now I'm about to punch punch on with Anthony Mundine was, was was cool, you know what I mean? I didn't I didn't have hate. It was like, man, this is, this is unreal, you know what I mean? So, but I've had a lot of press conferences where I don't like the person, so it generally is bad blood. But in that particular moment, I was just grateful because – I'm in the presence of a legend. And what can you say? Mundane, we write, he's, he rings me all the time, you know, we talk. And he says, man, you're in, a, in the best position. He said, keep doing what you're doing. He said, because that's what I did. And like you said, people are, are, are paying to watch me get my head in, kicked in, you know. So he goes, that's what you want to do. He goes, you're, 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 you're bringing the sport back. You know I mean? See, Jeff Horn had a massive win, but he doesn't have that flamboyance. He doesn't have that personality that keeps it going. He died very quick. You know what I mean? And Zoo's the same. Zoo's up, but he's, he's, he's very boring. He's very, yeah, yeah, I let my hands do the talking. So, like, man, obviously we're going to let our hands do the talking. We're boxers. You know what I mean? We're going to go in there to fight. You know what I mean? So that's why this Isaac Hardman, there's a, there's a few other guys out there that, you know, we need to fight because it's entertaining. Mm. You know, Hardman, well, he can't speak. You know what I mean? So I'm looking forward to having a press conference with him. Because, <laughs> and he's just illiterate. He's, he's, he's got no idea. All he knows how to say is you're a flea bag. So, I mean, for me, it's going to be grouse jabbing his head off for 12 rounds. But, you know, you need you need to have an ego. You know, you need to have confidence. All right, final sound for tonight. Now, this one's a little bit more tense. I'll play it, and then I'll ask you a couple of questions off the back of it. It's to do with Tim Zhu. You, you, you don't understand about levels. Man. Okay. You don't understand. Okay. Yeah, all right. We'll see. Well, I said, we'll see. Told you. It's not Mickey's a raffer. It's Mickey Hatton's rocking up. I'm Pacquiao, taking over. And the Pacquiao's going to rock up. All right, that's fine. We'll see. You remember what Pacquiao did to Hatton? Yeah. You remember what Ricky Hatton did? You didn't talk about that fight, man. I'm just saying. You remember what happened? That I'm just saying. You remember what happened in that fight? Mickey Hatton's rocking up. Now, Mick, it's very interesting because of the way that that was portrayed in the media because in, in the actual press conference, you spend the next two minutes rapping Costa Zou and what he's done for Australian boxing. So, yeah. But there was no doubt that the intensity between you and Tim was there. How was it when it shut off the cameras? Uh, uh, look, I still believe that Tim, he's not scared of me, but he's very intimidated by me. So, uh, and I know, and that's why I said to him, I said, man, you can tell the cameras, the promoters, the people, the public, I'm a fighter. I know what you're feeling. I said to him and he looked at me and I could tell that he, he knew I was right. So he's very intimidated by me. Um, and again, when you watch the actual full press conference of that, you know, I, I again praise his dad, praise what he's done in the sport. Um, you know, I was just referring to obviously Ricky Hatton and his old man fighting. There's ways to beating him. Um, you know, they're not invincible; they're men. You know what I mean? And you cut them, their their blood's red, just like mine. So I was referring back that you know he's not invincible. There's ways to beating him, and I've worked out those ways to beat him. And you know, obviously off camera. Zoo was very, he's very quiet. He doesn't like the heat. He doesn't like, you know, back and forth confrontation. He's very just to himself. Um, but again, which is a bit very boring. If I was the same, you know, when he was with Jeff Horn in a press conference, the most exciting thing was Ben Damon, the ring announcer. Yeah. You know I mean? The Fox, they were trying to bring me back into the mix because it was just, they were giving each other, like, it, looked, it was like they were on their first date. You know what I mean? So, Again, I had to try to spice things up. And, and off camera, we had to start and stop a few times because, you know, they were kind of getting angry at Tim because he wasn't saying anything. It was just me doing all the talking. They're like, Tim, can we have a word with you? And then he went outside and they come back in and they tried to fire him up again. Like, mate, you got to fire up. So 
there's a lot of things and that's what I try to say to people you know there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes there's a lot of politics there's a lot of a lot of things that are involved and that's why when that Tim Zhu statement come out that's Rafa doesn't want to fight he's pulled out of the files like here we go you know surely people aren't believing this but sadly people do yeah um and that that's that's fine in this sport you gotta have tough skin it to 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 rock up to an event full of people to punch on with a guy that's done absolutely nothing wrong with you for 12 rounds a criticism is not gonna bother me you know what I mean so that's just how it is. Michael, I'm a pest and a half. You ask all my mates, and I've got little indicators that I know when to go after people. When he said, don't talk about that fight, that would have been my just to keep going. Did that just light a fire in you? Yeah, I wanted to look, man. But look, I'll be honest, I was very surprised because I didn't think he was that sensitive. You know, I, I thought, all right, you know, I was just trying to, you know, niggle at him a little bit and try to fire him up. And when I saw that, it made me more confident for the fight because I was like, man, if that's all it took to get under your skin, I've had fights where you were eight rounds in and I'm whispering in your ear, I'm talking to you, you know, just, just revving you up just to try to make you make mistakes. And I'm like, this is so easy that I got under your skin so quick. So man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock him out. And, and I know he fears me. He, I know that because off camera, they've said to me already, you know, their team, you know, Zarafa's a huge risk. Mm. Um, you know, if we can go around Zarafa, we will. And, and, and it's proof in the pudding now because – People can say what they want about our fight, but he's done it to Castano. He's done it to Harrison. And now he's fighting a Japanese bloke who I've got sparring four years ago, which you'll probably see viral because people send it to everybody. But I sparred that Takashi guy four years ago in Japan and annihilated him. So easy win for Zoo. There you go. All right. To finish things off, Michael, we've got a few audience questions, mate, and there's some good ones in this one. So the first one, Timmy Ballantyne, he wants to know, do you follow any other sports? Uh, not really, to be honest. I mean, if the, if, if big events are on, um, or like obviously other athletes are fighting, like I've got Alex Volkanovsky, who yep. I'm good friends with, who's fighting, um, this week, yeah, on Sunday. you know, I'll tune in and watch the big fights, you know what I mean? So, or, or the grand final and stuff like that, but actually following and having a team and, and, and following it, not really, but I support any, any Aussie that is giving it a crack. I'll support, um, or any big event. Nice. Now, a few Kiwis listen to this podcast, and they they want to know: Are there any Kiwis fighting? Uh, sorry, any Kiwi fighters on your radar? Uh in a, uh, not really. To be honest, there's a lot of good Kiwi fighters. Don't get me wrong. Um, um Opataya, that Justice Huni. Mm. There's a lot of guys that are that are making noise, but um, for me, in the middleweight division, I don't know if there's many, unless you know you go overseas and. And they might have some, you know, New Zealander in them, but not really, no. All right, over time, who would have been your dream matchup to for you to fight? Uh, Miguel Cotto. Nice. Yeah, man, he's my favourite fighter. <laughs> I like that one. I was yeah. lucky enough to spar him in in, uh, in America when I trained at a World Cup. Did you? How'd you go? I remember, yeah, unreal. Um, really good. You know, he's one of those fighters that he'll let, again he'll take you to deep waters and he'll drown you. Yeah. But um. I remember walking in and I was like a little girl seeing their crush. You know what I mean? I was just starstruck. I was like, Jesus. You know what I mean? He walked in with his little, his dogs and his family and he goes, oh, you know, we're sparring. And I was like, Jesus Christ. You know, dreams really do come true. And, you know, so that was unreal. But he said, again, he goes, man, this kid, you give this kid confidence, man, no one no one will beat him. Yeah. Now, Miguel's short. Is he, like, muscly thick? Is it like? Yeah, he's a lot shorter than I am. But, again, he's a lot more broad. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if you saw me in person, you, you'd you'd say the same thing. Oh, you're actually not that big. I'm I'm not I'm not I'm yeah. I mean, these are pretty you know I mean pretty huge. But <laughs> must must be those Instagram filters, eh, mate? Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> now, next one, and he says it's a bit off topic, but what's your thoughts on rugby league players like Paul Gallen getting main events? Oh, I've got to be careful here because I got done for this last time. Um, look. Great question. I, I'm not a big fan of it, to be honest, because I feel like, look, it's great because it turns heads into the sport, but it also takes a lot of attention away from legitimate fighters with a huge career. Um, you know, I, you don't see me saying, you know what, I'm done with boxing. Hey, chuck me in the forward line playing for Essendon or put me as a striker for Melbourne City. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. You know, they wouldn't even look at you twice. But the fact that these guys think that, oh, you know, 
I'll have a fight and all these celebrity matchups and all this stuff. It's it is a shame. And you know, Canelo Alvarez thinks the same. It's it's a joke. Um, but you know, in saying that, I give credit where credit's due. You know, he did well. Um, he's not a boxer. I mean, eventually he was going to get hurt, mm. and and his last fight, obviously, he did. Um, I'm not a big fan of it. Like okay. I said, if it was even in all sports, as in, you know, I could retire tomorrow and, and transition to playing for Essendon AFL. Sure, you know, it's even. But the fact that these guys think that I'm done with my career, I'll just go to boxing because it's, you know, it's just my way out. And they get main event, prime time, Fox Sports. You know, I mean, it's like Jesus Christ. You know, you got guys like George Cambosis who's fighting for four world titles against TFMO Lopez. Yeah. He hasn't even gotten any coverage from Australian boxing. How do you think George will go, mate? Look, I'm, a good, I'm good friends with George. You know, we, we talk every now and then and, and we touch base. But um, I think he can do it, man. Look, it, it's, a, it's a huge ask. It is. Look, you got to I'm – I'm a very honest fighter and a very honest person. He's asking for the impossible, pulling off the impossible. But if anyone could do it, it would be myself and Georgie because I know the hard work and dedication and how he trains and his mindset were very similar. Um, you know, outwork your opponent. You know, because if you're tied in the 12th, 12th round, he's on his deathbed. Mm. You know what I mean? Because they're not doing the things you're doing. You know, you're, you're putting in three or four sessions. You know, you're up early. You're up late. You know what I mean? You're by yourself in the gym. You know, you're working not when everyone's watching. It's when no one's watching when you're putting in the work. And that's what Georgie does, man. So, um, you know, he's going up against a real a real competitor, you know, a beast. But, um, you know, I'm back in the Aussie, man. I'm, I'm, I'm back in Georgia to bring it home. Yeah, I love Georgia. He's similar to yourself. He, he understands the heel role and he knows how to yeah, talk. Man, you know, he doesn't, you, you, that's exactly right. You've got to go out there and, and sell yourself. Like I said, with me and George, you know, we don't have a, fam, a, a famous, you know, father or a famous mother or a famous cut. You know, we, we, we just grind, man. We just outwork our opponents. And when it's time to shine, we shine. You know what I mean? And, and sometimes you can give 200% and fall short. You know, I mean, those fights that I had, that was my 100% at what I gave. It yep. was just wasn't enough. You know I mean? He gave 101%. Or, you know, you give 200, he's giving 201. That's just, that's life. You know what I mean? But if you haven't lost, been knocked down, been knocked out, you haven't fought anybody. Mm. You know what I mean? And that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the truth. Final audience question, Michael. Now, this one's from Jaden Clark. Now, you've, you briefly touched on this guy. Now, he wants to know, he must have just tuned in. He wants to know, when are you going to fight Isaac Hardman? Now, realistically, how how realistic is this fight? Huge. It's happening. It's going to happen. He needs, look, we, he actually texted me just before. He nice. actually texted me, like, personally. <laughs> um, oh, so, boxers actually do that. Well, he does. He, I think there's something wrong. But, okay. I mean, look, it's a fight that it will happen. It needs to happen. Um, obviously, with what's going down, Foxtel was a little bit, what can you say, dirty with me, I guess, um, which is understandable. But again, it, it wasn't the truth. There's, there's a lot more behind the scenes. But again, they lost money. It's yeah. a, bit, a bit hesitant to just throw me into a huge fight. Um, but in February, if it's not December, it will be February. Um, and I can't wait to teach him a lesson. You know, I mean, the fact that people think he can beat me. Um, that's good. that's good. It just puts more fuel in the fire. Nice. But, uh, that fight. Is Isaac a little... um, Melbourne boy as well, Michael? No, he's a Brisbane boy. Okay, gotcha. It's a little bit of rivalry yeah, there. No, he talks a lot of smack. And, and, and look, I, I I don't think he's a bad dude. And I don't hate anybody. But um, he needs to be – he needs to be – his ass needs to be whooped, man. Nice. <laughs> I like it. Now, final question is one of my, fi- my final questions. Now, every guest I have on, it's my dinner party question. Now, Michael, you've got five invites to a private dinner party. Now, only rules, no family or friends, but you can invite anyone dead or alive. Who's the five people you would invite to dinner? Four. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, Prince? Yeah. Uh, who else have I got? I'm a big fan of that little Hasbulla. That little Hasbulla. Mate, he makes me laugh every day, bro. <laughs> I'd, love to, I'd love to have dinner with that little dude. Um, you know he's like 19 or something. Yeah, 21 or something. Yeah, it's crazy. Man, I'm obsessed with him. He he he's house. I like so how he prince. like he picks on like he just picks on his mates and he just smacks <laughs> him in the. How's his overhands? They're perfect. I saw him doing some push ups and some shadow boxing the other day. It was, it was, it was I cracker. think I share at least two videos a week of him. He's um he's on a level. I <laughs> uh, definitely um Muhammad Ali. You know you got Muhammad Ali, Prince, um, Hasbulla, Michael Jackson. Big fan of Michael Jackson as well. Nice. Um. Who's another one? I'm trying to think. And maybe The Rock. The Rock, I like it. 
Dwayne Johnson, yeah, maybe him. He's pretty uh, inspirational. Us so. is just going to take over, but, mate, he's... Man, 100%. Hey, I'll just be chilling with him while these guys are having a conversation, me and him are just stirring the pot. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael, you've been brilliant, mate. Appreciate you joining me. Before I let you go, Instagram, you'll find him at Michael underscore Zarafa. Facebook, you'll find him at Michael Zarafa Official. Anything else that you want to plug before we, we jump off, mate? Man, I just want to shout out to obviously yourself for giving us the time, man, and, and for everyone that tuned in listening. Um, nothing but love and respect. And, um, you know, stay positive in these tough times. And if there's anything I can do to help, uh, whether you hate or you love me, um, I'm here. Just reach out and um, I'll give you give you some help. Nice, Mick. Very good words. Can't wait to see this Isaac Hardman fight now. Can't wait to see you back in there with Timmy Zoo. But all the best for the rest of the year, my man, and looking forward to seeing you back in the ring soon. Appreciate it, bro. Take care, man. Stay safe.